Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. So finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. We read in chapter 19 of John, and that's where we've reached in John's Gospel, chapter 19 and the crucifixion, Colin. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, and in verse 17 we read, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Again, John doesn't dwell upon the details of somebody else having to carry his cross or anything like that. He just wants to get to the real significance of what is happening. The chief priests have really taken a political route to get Jesus crucified, although Jesus had never spoken or acted against the Roman authorities in anything he'd said. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. That was his attitude. Um, because, of course, they couldn't find any spiritual reasons to crucify Jesus. And Pilate knew that he was innocent. So Pilate's judgment, if you like, is that he knew that he was condemning an innocent man. He didn't have the strength of character to stand up against that. But then, again, as Jesus was saying, this authority that Pilate had over him was the purpose of God. It was given to him from heaven. So Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now, it was the common practice to crucify uh, criminals uh, on the main highway, on the main um, route, just outside the city gates. They didn't do it within the city, but just outside where everybody would pass so there'd be continual traffic of people so that it would be a warning to others. This is what happens to those who defy Rome. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. That made it a very, very expensive garment. People say that Jesus is poor. I mean, his undergarment was so valuable that the soldiers would not tear it up. So that really knocks that um, on the head, doesn't it? Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Isn't it amazing that those words were spoken a thousand years before the cross? 
and of course all the other details that there are in the Psalms, Psalm 22 uh, uh, especially, uh, written all those hundreds of years before the event because God in his eternal foreknowledge could already see exactly what was happening, could describe the events that were going to take place. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I always say that Christian community began on the cross. That, um, and this is really what the Christian church is to be, not everybody living together, but it is to be a community of people who really love one another, who live for one another, and who work together to make Jesus known to the world. Wonderful that Jesus, hanging there on the cross and seeing his mother, is concerned for her future welfare, shows that Jesus also trusted John more than anybody else. He knew that John would care for his mother and love his mother. Jesus, uh, John was obviously a man of great love. We can tell that from his first epistle. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. The idea of the wine vinegar was that it would help to dull the pain. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died. Now, this is a wonderful statement. It is finished. There are seven different statements from the cross that are recorded in the four Gospels. John here focuses on this statement, it is finished. Now, the Greek there, tetelestai est, means it is finished, it is done, it is accomplished, it is completed. It, it really means that which the Father has sent me to do has been completed. Now, we've got to go right the way back to John chapter 1 to see what he means. The very first statement that was made about Jesus was the statement that John the Baptist made. Look, see, behold, God's Lamb. God's sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that God himself was providing. A tremendous 
prophetic word. The people that heard him would be very well aware of the whole business of sacrifice. They were very familiar with that from all the temple sacrifices. But not the sacrifice of a man, not the sacrifice that God himself would provide. That was totally revolutionary. And now Jesus is saying, the Lamb of God is sacrificed. God's purpose is completed. God's purpose is accomplished. Subsequently, of course, people like Paul and others came to understand that Jesus had won on the cross total victory over sin, over the power of sin, over sickness, over Satan, over all the powers of darkness. It was a complete and total victory. The devil thought, of course, that by inspiring Judas to betray him and working through the chief priests and the others to have Jesus crucified, that that would be the failure of Jesus' mission. What he never understood was that the cross was Satan's own defeat. That there, from that moment, there was no way back for Satan because he was judged on that cross. And so what Satan does now until Jesus comes again is just like the death throes. But there will be no place for him in heaven. Uh, there's no way back for him or for those who belong to him. It is finished. Wonderful, wonderful cry from Jesus. There's so much John doesn't include in his gospel. He doesn't mention that there was darkness, there was the eclipse. He doesn't mention the earthquake or the fact that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. No, because all the way through we've seen his focus is on the person of Jesus, the figure of Jesus. What is happening to Jesus? Remember I said right at the beginning when we were going through this that um, the whole purpose of this gospel is to reveal who Jesus is. And when we come to the last chapter, the end of the last chapter, um, John makes that very clear. So uh, um, that the reason why he's written what he's written is so that people will believe who Jesus is. That's John's purpose. So everything that he includes is to really reveal who Jesus is. In writing this gospel, he wants those who read it to know and believe who Jesus is so that they can have personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus. Because that, as far as John is concerned, is what the whole thing is about. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why the, the Father sent his Son, in order to reveal the Father, to make it possible for us to receive eternal life and to belong to God for all eternity. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 